Well, it's been a wonderful day, and this old boy that just got married. Son, I've got a little news for you. An old bachelor is a fellow who never made the same mistake once. <laughs> I want to say, you know, I've had a wonderful day today. I, I sat here in amazement. I never cease to be amazed at the things that happen. And I think sometimes about the queen that said, and the half has never been told. You can't describe, there's no way to describe to people who do not understand and who do not come in contact with this work. There's no way to, under, to describe the magnitude of it. I do not believe that there has been a time, I do not believe there's been a time in the religious history that one man, that one man has been responsible and been used to develop and start and promote as large a work with as many different facets as Dr. Falwell. And he's my friend, and I trust I'm his. And I know. I run into people around the country now and then. Some of them don't speak too well of him. Here and there, there's a little bit of criticism. They say some little things that when they say them, it sort of sounds meow to me. But anyway, a little catty. But I always tell them, if you don't treat the possum, don't kill the dog that can. Amen. It goes beyond my $50 million. Boy, you'd think, you'd think about the United States government, wouldn't you? I think someone said to me the other day, do you think Jerry might become mayor, or might become uh, governor of Virginia? As if he does, he'll bankrupt her, I'll tell you that. <laughs> might go to Congress. But we got the best that money can buy of those, but anyway... I don't mind paying their salaries, but I think they ought to take care of their folks on the side themselves. <laughs> They're kind of... But I, I'll say this. he just been out in, out in Texas telling me about speaking out there at the seminary. Well, they need it. Southwestern Seminary. That has been one of the great seminaries of this country. And they have another one now in Mid-America, the Mid-America Seminary in Memphis. Dr. Gray Allison is head of that. And so he's doing a tremendous job there. I spoke there the other day. But all around the country there's a great demand for this man. And for his ministry, not only here, not only with a national reputation, but international. And so you need to pray for him and hold up his hands. Don't pray on him, pray for him, amen. And you young people do not know the privilege is yours, and in the years to come, you're going to look back on this experience here as the highlight of your life. I've been in this business for a long time. Almost 60 years, 
Almost 60 years I've been telling the story, and I'm just now beginning to get started well. I've, God has been un, unreasonable, un, un, unduly good to me. I went to the Cato Tabernacle when I had no more idea of going there than, than I had of going to the moon. I, I, was, in a, I was pastor of a, of a good Baptist church. I had a big tent, and God was blessing. Mr. Cato asked me to come and speak at a camp meeting, and I went and spoke. And then when I came back, and he wrote me, and he said, For nine years I've been looking for someone. I want you to come and be with me as my associate. Mr. Cato was not a preacher. Well, he was a lay preacher. But he was a tremendous man, and to go and be an associate. Someone, I heard a little fellow said to me the other day, I don't want to be no second fiddle. I said, sir, a second fiddle is the finest, finest tuned orchestra, uh, uh, instrument in the whole orchestra. You've got to be something to be a second fiddle. But you know, when I went to be his associate, and he and I would ride together, I, when I went, I said, now you are the boss. This is your baby. And whatever you do, tell me to do, I'll do. If it blows it up, you can pick up the pieces, but I'll blow her up if that's what you want done. He said, that's exactly what I want. But I had a little way of getting around to it, and it's always a way of doing things. And he'd come out, and we'd ride. We'd come out and ride together out on the farm. And when we'd be out riding, i say, you know, both men, I believe if we would do so-and-so, it would be a good thing. And I believe it would, I believe it would really fit said, you think so? And then I'd drop it there and never say another word. Well, two weeks later, we'd be out riding, and I'd say, you know, boss, I've been thinking about what you suggested the other day. <laughs> and then I'd go over it. I said, I think you've got a bright idea there. said, you think so? I said, yes. I said, well, just do her if you want to. <laughs> okay. In those days, we were as prominent as Lum and Abner and Amos and Andy. We were celebrities. Radio. I'd go with him. We'd go to the big meetings in the outside, in the big, in, in, the, in the big meetings in the football fields and the, and the fairgrounds. I carried his grip. I carried his coat. I carried his hat. And when he got ready, to, when he had finished preaching, I'd go get his coat and put it on, get his hat. Well, you said that would be humble. I just wouldn't want to do that. I know that's the reason you'll never be. Amen. Let me tell you something. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I know a preacher now. I was riding down the road with me one day, a young preacher, about a tuba squirt, and he said... Uh, he said, don't you think I have the ability to build the biggest church in the world? I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, why don't you get over trying to be a big man? Because God isn't using big men. God's using little men. Boy told me the other day, he said, I'm building me a church, Dr. Lincoln. When I get big, I want to have you. I said, when you get big, you won't need me. You'll need me now. And I said, after all. The preacher, he said, would you go to a little church? I said, no, I wouldn't. 
He said, well, I just thought I'd ask you. I said, there are no little churches. Nothing is little if God is in it. And if you're in the place of God's appointment, you're in big business, my friend. You're in big business. I'm going to tell you young evangelists something now. When you first start out, no, you don't need a singer. A fellow said to me one day, he's an evangelist, he said, you don't know where I could find me a singer, do you? I said, no, but you don't need a singer. A preacher is what you need. <laughs> you don't need a staff. <laughs> I never heard of that. A staff, you know. Got to have me a pianist and a song leader and all of that. No, what you need to do is to get out here and go to little places, ride a Greyhound bus. You can't be jetted out here and cool your heels in an air-conditioned room in a hotel. You say, well, what am I going to do? Ride a bus. And when you get out there, say, that pastor there that's got a very small church and he's having a hard time making it, you say, if you've got a place, I'll stay in your home or in the home of some, uh, or some member of the church. And, he's, and I said, then you go, you go out to meals, go out to the different homes. It's good for you to be in the homes and talk to them. That's the way I did it, amen. A young man said, what did you do to promote yourself from riding a mule and saddlebags under you up to... I did have, have a long-tailed coat and wing collar. I thought the other day, Dr. Falwell, I'll bring that all up to you. Please do. Put the long coat on a thing and put it... <laughs> Man, I'd put that on, you know, after I got big, I'd put that on. I wore a, a Gates Ajar collar uh, with a cravat and spets. Man, I looked like an old Jenny looking over a whitewash fence when I got that thing on. <laughs> but you know, when I, he said, how did you get promoted from that to the tabernacle? I said, he said, what did you do? I said, not one thing. Not one thing. I never expected to be anything more than a country preacher. As God has opened the doors, I've gone in. I've never sent out a brochure. If I was a pastor, a man sent a brochure to me with a lot of recommendations, I'd throw it in the wastebasket. Because if he's any good, he doesn't need that. If they're any good, you only have to advertise. They'll find it out. Amen. They'll find it out. So you just... Don't, you don't have to do so much advertising. Of course, it's good sometimes. That's the reason hen eggs sell, sells for more than duck eggs. Because the old duck lays and just sneaks away. The old hen lays and advertises it, man. She cackles him. But I'm going to tell you this, and I've said I've never asked a man for it, how much are you going to pay me. I've never asked him for any money. You go and hold a meeting for a man... And if he gives you a little offering or gives you nothing, don't say anything. Don't say anything. If, if, if he doesn't treat you right, you don't have to go back. But just don't say anything about it. They gave me, if they give you anything, it's more than you deserve. Amen. I heard Dr. Torrey speaking once on ten reasons why God used Dwight L. Moody. And he said one reason, because he was honest financially. He said $4 million passed through his hands, and that was a lot in those days. But he said it passed through, it didn't stick. And then he said to these young preachers, if you're going into the ministry for financial gain, for the Lord's sake, stay home, because you'll curse the cause of Christ from one end of this continent to the other. 
And I said, where he leads me, I'll follow. I went to the Cato Tabernacle and stayed for 14 years. That was the biggest thing in the land at that time. Then God brought me here, and I'm coming here. If I can help a little now and then. This is the greatest thing on American platform or anywhere else today, right here. Amen. Right here. And I'm going to keep coming back as long as they let me. And when they don't let me, I'll sit on the doorstep and wait till they let me in. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Granny. That was great. I was just figuring how the two of us, how, how many years we've been at this thing. Amen. Nearly 200, I know. I know Dr. Charles Stevens is 85, and he told me about his brother Herman that was 90, 94, and they're both still preaching. And he said, we went to preach in a place, and Herman told how many years they'd been preaching. And then he said, when he finished, a little boy said, Dr. Stevens, was you in the ark with Noah? He said, oh, no, Sonny, I wasn't in the ark. He said, well, how did you keep from drowning? Okay. I'm going to change my sermon tonight. I reserve the right to do that. That's the reason I have such a clean mind. I change it often. Amen. I was going to preach on hell tonight, but I thought I'd preach on this tonight. If Jesus should never come back to this earth, what would happen? Our Father, as we come to preach tonight... Pray that thou wilt bless the people. Make us pliable in the hands of the Holy Ghost. And help the people to listen tonight, Lord, as though this would be the last sermon they'd ever hear on earth, and it may be. Because someday, Lord, they will hear their last one, won't they? I wonder how they'd listen tonight if they knew this were their last one. And help me to preach tonight like this would be the last sermon I'd ever preach. And it may be. Because one of these days I will preach my last one. And I wonder tonight if I would preach any different, Lord, if I knew this was the last one I'd ever preach. Help me to preach now, as one of oldest said, as a dying man to dying men. Bless this work. Bless our good brother. Oh, we thank you for his great ability for the marvelous mind you have given him, and for his, for his leadership, and so sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and for his prayer life, and for his deep knowledge of the Word of God, and his ability to expound it and tell people about it, and motivate people. We thank you that you give him the hearts of people who are able to help him financially, and the hearts of another great crowd that can pray for him and hold up his hand. Bless those that are around him tonight. We pray that thou would bless them and help them to center it all around him. And in doing that, they follow Christ. He said, follow me as you follow Christ. Because we ask it tonight in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. I said I wanted to speak to you tonight on the subject, if Christ should not come back, if Christ should not return, and there is a verse in the Bible, the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, which says, I will come again. Now, I wanted to take that text tonight 
Because I did not want you to question for one moment the certainty of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that he will come again, that he will leave the place which he now occupies at the right hand of God and come in the clouds of heaven to catch away his bride and then return to this earth with his purifying judgments to set upon this earth his everlasting kingdom is just as real and true as any portion of his first coming. Somebody said, Dr. Lakin, the second coming of Christ is all a matter of interpretation. Plain statements of scripture do not need interpretation. If I say to you, I'll meet you in the, in the morning in the front of the post office at nine o'clock, that doesn't need interpretation. And when a man uses the word interpretation as an excuse to explain away a plain statement of Scripture, he becomes a bungler of the word instead of an expositor of the word. And so tonight I want to bring you a message on this great event which Jesus speaks about again and again, and it's just as clearly set forth as any portion of his first coming. And the Lord uses and speaks of this great event a time and time again, over and over again. He speaks of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the apostles bound it up with every doctrine that they taught and with every exhortation that they gave to Christian living. You cannot find a doctrine in the Word of God or an exhortation to Christian living that isn't bound up in some matter with the return, with some manner as the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Apostle Paul would, in, would exhort Christians to, not to, to forsake not the assembling themselves for worship, he did so not by putting on a great go-to-church day. He did it by emphasizing the fact that Jesus was coming back and he said, you ought to go to church because Jesus is coming back. And I'll tell you this, my friend, when he would inspire those to consistent living, he does so by saying that I pray, God, that your whole body, whole mind, soul, body, and spirit be preserved blameless unto the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater incentive to holiness than the return of the Lord Jesus there is no greater incentive to holiness than the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because if we're expecting him every day, we're going to keep, we're going to dedicate ourselves like that great preacher that went away and said, he went away and said to his family, he said to his wife, his three little girls, I may be back Friday, I may be back Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Well, Thursday they went to the train to meet him. He didn't come. Friday they went to meet him. He didn't come. Saturday he came. And then his wife said to him, Honey, I wish you never would tell the children just what day you were coming back. She said, Because it never was so easy to keep their dresses clean as it was this week. And if you're looking for the Lord to come every day, you're going to keep your dresses clean. Amen. Amen. You're not going to be found where you would not want to be found if he were to come. Not only that, not only is it a great incentive to holiness and to clean living, but it's also the greatest incentive to missionary activity that you can find. Somebody said the premillennial coming of the Lord cuts the backbone of missions. That's not true. The premillennial coming of the Lord is the thing that is, that, that's, that is the great incentive to missionary work. Why? Because the premillennialists believe 
that the purpose of the preaching of the gospel is for the calling out of the elect. And when the last soul is called out to complete the bride of Christ, then he'll come. Isn't it a mighty incentive to know that if I'm preaching, that while I'm preaching tonight yonder in Haiti, or out yonder in India, or over yonder in the Isles of the Sea somewhere, the last soul will be called out to complete the bride of Christ, and he'll come again. That's the mission. That's the incentive to giving. That's the incentive to mission work. Listen, then when he would comfort, when when he'd comfort those who would mourn over their departed dead, he does so by telling them and giving them the assurance of hope that he himself should descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel of the trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we shall be caught up together to meet them in the Lord, ever to meet them in the clouds, ever to be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. What the words of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort ye one another with these words. There is nothing so comforting to the person who looks into the face of a departed loved one that to know that Jesus is coming back again. Now you don't mourn and wail as though it's all. Somebody said, I've gone to pay my last respects. No, you haven't paid your last respects. You haven't paid your last respects. Oh, I know sometimes we go to the grave, I do, to the grave of my child, and I go to the grave of my father and mother. I've heard, I've preached funerals, and I've heard people say, Oh, Brother Lincoln, I can't go away and leave them here. I said, Honey, you're not leaving them here. You're leaving an old body, but you're not leaving the person because they're already up yonder. I don't know where the time will come for me to go. I do not know. I hope I die in the battlefront. I don't know whether I'll be preaching in a great to a great crowd and winning somebody and having some old boy come down and sinner and holding my hand. And as I hold his hand, the captain of my salvation comes and taps me on the shoulder and said, Old soldier, it's time for you to come home. And I'll hang my sword on the shimmering wall of the city of God and hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I said, Lord, I brought a little more fruit home with me as I came. That, my friend, is what comforts you. Don't take that hope away from me. Somebody said to Vance Havner when his wife died not long ago, they said, Dr. Havner, you lost your wife. He said, No, I didn't lose her. I know where she is. Somebody said, you lost your boy. No, I didn't lose my boy. A thing you've lost, you don't know where it is. You don't know where to find it. Like my wife loses things sometimes, and I get a little upset, and I said, well, where did you leave it? She said, that's silly. If I knew where I left it, I'd go get it. (laughs) And so, my friends, I don't worry about it. Don't take that hope away from me. Mr. Infidel, Mr. Modernist, Mr. Liberalist, don't take that hope away from me. Why? Because that hangs a rainbow of hope around the shimmering shoulders of the dying storm of my bereavement. Don't take that away. Don't take that away. When you say Brother Lincoln's gone, no, Brother Lincoln's not dead. I've just moved out for repairs, that's all, amen. And Jerry comes and 
You better say something nice or I'll kick the lid off that thing and get up and spit in his face. Let me think. Mr. Lincoln says he's the best friend we've had. When he came and preached my mother-in-law's funeral, a very humble country woman, 94 years of age, and he flew there. We didn't dare to think about asking him to leave all his work and come. And when I talked to him, he said, well, I'm coming to the funeral anyway. And the next morning after he had come and drove, had driven down that little muddy road to that little country church and preached the funeral of that saint of God, I, I called him and said, Jerry, you're a big man. It takes a big man to do that, amen? Let me tell you something. Apostle Paul said, there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the from? For since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. It's always been dangerous to accept the word of men instead of the word of God, my friends. Don't ever accept the word of man. Down through the ages they've substituted the word of man for the word of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't do that. They've substituted their own thinking, their own opinions for it. Jesus says, I will come again. Now, my friends, suppose he should not. One day I started to think about that as I went through the word of God. I saw what was to see what was dependent upon the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, well, what does it matter? Then I said, some things that will take place when he comes. And then I found some things that could not take place until he does come. Some things that could not take place until he does come. And when I began to think on that subject, as I thought through it, it became darker and darker until it became almost as midnight to my soul. Let me set that before you, as I saw it in all of its darkness. If Jesus should not come back, first of all, if Jesus does not come back, no grave in this world containing the body of a child of God would ever open. Why? Because there would be no resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? It means the body of my mother and father, the body of your mother, the body of your child, your father, the body of my child. It means that they would never, never be resurrected, but they would have died in vain. And every Christian would have died in vain as far as the resurrection of the body is concerned. Because the resurrection... Always is dependent upon the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, my friend. The resurrection of the body. What the Lord, if the Lord does not come until then. Take this, listen, take the return of the Lord out of the book tonight. Take the return of the Lord out of the book tonight. And you might as well go out yonder to the cemetery and pack down the clods above your hopeless dead and write on the tombstone above it and say, Nevermore. For they'll never again come out of the grave if Jesus does not come. The little girl was dying. She'd been converted from another faith. They had tried and tried to get her to return to the mother faith. And she refused. Every argument they used, she set aside. And finally, they played the, the, the trump card. 
and said, if you do not return to the faith when you die, you can't be buried in our cemetery. And the little girl said, bury me wherever you will. But when my Lord comes, he'll find every particle of this body that belongs to him. And he'll transform it into a glorious body like his own. That, my friend, is the thing tonight. Listen, if Jesus does not come, then death will be triumphant through all the ages. Jesus does not come. Let me say another thing. If, if Jesus does not return, not one child of God would ever be rewarded for anything they've ever done. Did you know something? We are saved without any works of any kind. We're rewarded to do good works of every kind. And I sort of feel sorry for a fellow. He must be an indeed a, uh, he must be indeed a puzzle to the angels of God and a delight to the demons of hell that feels like, that feels like that he's been saved by the grace of God and then doesn't put himself to any inconveniences whatsoever for him or for his cause. If they get no, re if they get no reward, my friend, then all we've done, all of these 50 years, almost 50 years that Granny's spent down yonder in Haiti, no reward. If there is no reward, then all of these years that I've ridden through the cold and the snow and the heat and the cold and the rain and the storm and gone hungry sometimes. If there is no reward, my friend, then it's very foolish. Very foolish. Men who have given their money to, given their money thousands and millions of dollars to preach the gospel and so forth and yet no reward. I thank God there is to be a reward and even to a cup of cold water. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I've finished the course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. At what day? At the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not to me only. But to old Brother Lakin, he'll give one too, if he loves his appearing. When will Paul get it? He's been in heaven over 1,800 years and hasn't received his reward yet. And if Jesus doesn't come, he'll never receive it. Why? Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. You're going to be rewarded according as his work shall be. When will we get our reward? At the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Let me tell you something. Thank God he's coming. Thank God he's coming, and every man will receive a reward according as his work shall be. If Christ does not return, let me give you this, if Christ does not return, there will be absolutely no hope for this world. Absolutely no hope for this world. There will be wars, rumors of wars. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. All of this, my friend, will be until Jesus comes. The history of the world is one, the history of this world is one that has been written in blood and tears. Somebody said we're talking about having a warless world. No, but the scripture does portray a day in which the, a, a day in which the prophets have written and the poets have sung. A time set the Lord when the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
And when the nation shall learn the art of war no more, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the lamb and the lion shall lie down, the lamb and the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down together, and the desert shall blossom as the rose, and streams shall break out in the wilderness. The whole thing, there'll be no more famines. There'll be more starving little children. There'll be nothing like that because the dew, the, the dew will come down from the mountains and the earth will, and the, the cross with the, will overtake the reapers that'll grow so fast. Amen. That's the day that we're looking forward to when we'll take the instruments of war and beat them into the instruments of agriculture when the swords will be turned into plowshares and reaping hooks and so forth. That's going to be when our Lord comes back. You say, Brother Lincoln, we'll have peace. No, they're talking about permanent peace now. All of the religious leaders talking about peace. They don't know their ABCs about the Bible, these guys do. If they'd learn a little something about the Bible, even the communists, they believe in peace. A piece of this and a piece of that and a piece of this over here. They believe in peace. Let me tell you when you're going to have, you're going to have, you can't have peace as long as, 2,000 years ago, they thrust the Prince of Peace out of this world at the point of a spear. And for 2,000 years, we've proven ourselves, and we'll go on proving, man will, that he's incapable of governing himself. And he will prove that until he whose right it is to reign shall come and sit upon the throne of his father, Dave. A little preacher said to me the other day, He's a little amillennialist. I heard Dr. R.G. Lee, that great preacher, preaching in a conference once, and he said, he said, if I had a hair in my head that wasn't free, I'd pull it out. I went out here, he said, the other day to a doctor in Texas to see him, and he said, open your mouth and say, ah. Dr. Lee said, I'd die before I'd say that word. Then he got in the way of preaching, and he said, whoo! We were going out at the door, and a little preacher said, he's just an emotional old man. I said, you saying that about Dr. Lee reminds me of what the bantam rooster said to the elephant when they came across the bridge. He said, big boy, did you feel her shake as we came over? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Oh, beloved, you're not going to have peace until the Prince of Peace comes. And established. And, and this fellow said to me, there's no scripture that Jesus will ever be upon this earth. I said, son, you need to learn your ABCs. I said, what did you say? His feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. He said, he did that when he was here before. I said, did the mountain clave asunder? Did the river run east and west? That's what will happen when he comes. He said, he'll never occupy an earthly throne. I said, is that so? He said, listen. And Mary said, How shall this thing be? And he said, The power of the high shall overshadow thee, and the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and that thing which is conceived in thee shall be called the Son of God, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And then, with a colon for punctuation, he goes on to say, And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Amen. David never had anything but an earthly throne. He said, David's already on his throne. I said, Oh, no, he's on the Father's throne. He said, to him that overcometh will I grant, to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcome, and have sat down with my father in his throne. That's what the Bible says. Honey, knowing your Bible will unfit you for hearing a lot of preaching, did you know? I had a lot of mine spoiled, but find out it wasn't, so, it wasn't the truth. There's a day foretold in the Word of God. There's a day foretold in the Word of God. 
And it's always when the Lord Jesus shall return. The disciples said, What shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. And when he said that, What shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? He said, Nations shall rise against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be false Christs and false prophets. And then he says this. Then went on to portray the return in glory. There is no promise, my friend, outside the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have no hope for it. Somebody said, Dr. Lakin, you think we're going to have another great revival? I don't think so. I, I don't see any sign of it. I don't see any sign of it. I think we're in the apostasy. There's never been but one cure for apostasy, and that's judgment. I'm looking for judgment now. Amen. Just like Dr. preached the other morning about San Francisco. Boy, that was a killer diller. Wonder that he preached. He unsheathed his Jerusalem blade and sounded his ram's horn of battle and waded in, didn't he? And the fur flew and they furnished it. Amen. No, he wasn't rubbing the fur the wrong way. The old cat is headed wrong. That is the thing. Don't try to change his preaching. Turn the cat around. That's the thing you need to do. Somebody said, well, we got to pray for those. You think so? He said, for this cause, God gave them up. And there's nothing left but to pour out the judgment upon them. Amen. And the wrath of God's judgment is fast filling, and it'll pour out one of these days with a rapidity that will startle the nation. If Jesus should not come back, if Jesus should not come back, there'd be no hope for this world. I remember World War number two, number one, when they died by the thousands, and many of them sleep where poppies blow. Vast cemeteries were filled with them, and then came another when they died in, in the steaming jungles of the South Pacific. And they've died on and on. There's been no permanent peace, and there will not be any until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. That's the thing tonight. If Christ should not come back, then the world of lost men will go on and have no fear of punishment. Have no fear of the judgment. Lost men will have no fear of the judgment. If there be no, if there be no return of Christ, there'll never be any judgment. Why? Because the judgment is always linked with his return. Therefore, when he comes, he'll judge the world in righteousness by that man, Christ Jesus, whom he hath ordained. He will judge by that man whom he hath ordained. Given assurance that he hath raised him from the dead. Every man shall stand before Christ and will face his record. Oh, man-made biographies never tell the whole truth. But God in his book tells the truth about it, my friend. He tells the truth about men. If Jesus does not come back, my friend, there'd be no hope for the Jewish nation. There is no hope for downtrodden Israel but in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they could ever see it. They've gone back to Jerusalem by the thousands, but they've gone back in blindness. And that blindness will be upon them until they shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But don't put your hand against them, my friend. Because you know why I think God has blessed America? They've been faithful. They've been kind to the Jews. Amen. fellow said to me the other day, I can't understand why he would choose Israel. I said, I can't either. I don't have time because it keeps me busy trying to find out why he chose me. I don't try to be God nor deputy God. Amen. I just let him say so. But poor downtrodden Israel, my friend, will have no justice, will have no justice until he shall come again. Then, my friend, when he shall come again, all life tragedies will be set aside. If there be, if Jesus Christ does not come, 
there would absolutely be no hope for Israel. And if Jesus should not come, the devil would never be bound. The devil would never be bound. The devil has gone up and down this country. looks like he's been turned loose afresh and anew. But I'm not going to bind him with education, sanitation, and legislation. Don't do that. You'll bind. Leave the key. Leave the chain where God put it in the hands of the angel. I saw the angel come down from heaven and bind old Lucifer the Satan and throw him into the bottomless pit. Therefore, my friend, therefore, my friend, if there be no coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Satan would never be bound and would be under his dominance for all time. But thank God he's coming. Thank God he's coming. He said the Lord himself, personally, he's coming. Not the destruction of Jerusalem. Not the, not the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Not death. Not death. Not the spread of Western civilization. Not that. But the Lord himself, a personal, a personal visible coming. He's coming himself. I thank God for what blessings he gives me now. I thank God for what blessings he gives me now. But that'll be grand. It's different, though, when he comes himself. I want to look upon him. He's coming. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. And I can say this, because he is coming, I can look in the graveyard and say that dead in Christ shall rise first. Because he is coming, I can work day and night, crisscross this country and over the oceans and around the world and preach until I'm worn out and know that my labors are not in vain in the Lord. And because he is coming, I know that there's going to be a peaceful world and Israel will have peace. And the world will have peace because it is coming. And because it is coming, my friend, I know that Satan's going to be bound. And I'll have no longer to fool with him. Satan is going to be bound. There'll be evildoers until the day when God shall take it all away. You say, Brother Lee, can you expect him to come? Yeah, I'm looking for him. I don't know when. Somebody said, Jesus is coming soon. I don't know whether he is or not. You know what I'm doing? I don't know whether he's coming sooner or for a thousand years. I don't know. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm living every day like this would be the last day. I'm living every day like this would be the last day. I go to bed at night. And after I've read my Bible and put it on this nightstand, I had my prayer. And then I said, after I've had my prayers, I've said, good night, Jesus. I'll see you in the morning. And I never get up a morning without I say, maybe this will be the day. This will be the day. And with that moment expectancy, living each moment with his face in view, I'll not shrink from my pathway and fail to go through. You said, then I'll just go to a mountain somewhere and wait for him. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. When I was on the, when I was on the radio, I, I decided after I got to the place where I could retire, Mrs. Lincoln and I sat down and talked about it in the office. We'll go down to Huntington to the office and I'll file and I'll retire. And I was in there preaching. I'm making a tape and she's out there in the office, in her office. I was yelling like I had a hundred people in there. And she was out there listening to me. 
And I was getting, and I read, I got to preaching on down and it says, Occupy until I come. I done preached myself under conviction. <laughs> when I came out and she said, Anybody can preach like that, got no business retiring. I said, You want me to work myself to death, don't you? No, but they need your message, amen. So I'm going to keep telling the story, praying for Jerry and doing what I can to help him. If you got any criticism, don't give it to me, because you'll make an enemy out of me when you do. Love me, love my dog, amen. <laughs> okay, Jim.